Welcome to Stuff You Should Know About IP, a podcast about stuff you should know about IP. My name is Ray Guaneri, and I'm here with Tom Colson, who is an inventor, a patent attorney, a business leader, and, as it pertains to the, to the discussion today, a, an author. And we've got some of his books here, and I'm going to kind of just kick it straight to you, okay. Tom. Why don't you tell us about A Girl Named Pants? Okay. I don't know which way, if you want me to show these or... No, 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 no. Let's just leave them there. So, okay. Uh, so, so, okay, we'll talk about a girl named Pants. So, you know, as we talk about intellectual property, probably 80% of the people I know, maybe even including you, have said to me at one point in their lives, I want to write a book. And about 1% of those people... I would like to write a book, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people would. There's so many people would. But people always, or I should say they rarely get to it, you know? And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some valid, some not valid, but the fact is hardly anybody actually writes books that wants to write a book. So I thought it would be interesting to walk through the process of writing a book. Now these are only children's books, but it might be good for people to see because maybe they'll say, wow, if that guy could do it, if that short, bald guy could do it, I could do it. So anyway, and I could talk a little bit about the intellectual property stuff along the way, right? Mm -hmm. So I did create a series of children's books, and basically... In around 2005, I had three daughters. One was four, another one was four, and one was five. And we were living in this place in Birkdale Village in Charlotte. And it was this really cool area where it's kind of like this self-contained town. You know, you never have to leave it. They have, they have stores, they have grocery stores, they have Barnes & Noble, they have condos, pools. You drive in and you can literally stay there for the rest of your life. I mean, as long as society doesn't crash. But anyway, um, so w there's a movie theater at the end of the street. So I take my five-year-old, we walk down, beautiful night, we walk to the movies, and we go to watch this movie, which is an animated film, I forgot the name, but it's about this ship that's flying through space looking for a treasure planet. In fact, I think it was called Treasure Planet. Hmm. But anyway, so I'm with Olivia, and um, we're watching it, and in the movie is this animated dog character, which is a girl dog, and she's the captain of this ship that's flying through the universe. And her first lieutenant, or whatever you call it in the Navy, is this big giant stone creature. And Olivia asks me, hey, Dad, what kind of creature is the captain? And I say to Olivia, it's a dog. And she says, no, not the dog, the captain, that big stone thing. And I said, Olivia, the big stone thing works for the captain, who's the dog. And Olivia, at five years old, says to me, that can't be the captain, Dad, because it's a girl, and girls can't be captains. Now, I don't know what happened in the world from age zero to five. I didn't know if I had created such an image in her mind that girls couldn't be captains, but I decided that night as we were walking home that I was going to change that. So immediately that night, I took my three daughters. As I'm putting them to bed, I told them a story, and the story had to do with a character who was a woman who was you know, kicking ass. You know, she was doing it all. She was saving the world. She was, you know, helping people. She was the superstar sports athlete or whatever she, whatever it was, the woman was the star of the show because I wanted them to get in their heads that women could do anything just like men could do anything. I didn't want them to go through their lives thinking that they were somehow diminished because they were girls. So that led to our stories kind of being codified. We started to create these little books that we would have them draw the pictures and I would write the little words at the bottom and we'd staple them together and we had books. So we had children's books. But I thought we can do better. So I embarked upon a journey to create children's books, actual children's books, 
And I had to do everything from start to finish, from writing the books to finding illustrators to taking the illustrations and like laying them out on the pages. And by the way, I didn't know anything. So, so I'm not like somebody who actually knows how to make books at this time. Hmm. I'm just, in fact, I'm inadequate. I'm not even normal. I'm below average in terms of my capabilities at doing things like making books. But I started fighting through it and I spent four hours a night, five nights a week for about eight months doing the entire process of writing the books, getting the illustrators, laying all the pictures out, figuring out where to get them printed, you know, getting editors, getting the printer to agree to print them in Hong Kong and ship them to my garage in Buffalo, New York. And ultimately, within eight months, we went from idea in my head to 5,000 books in my garage. Okay, and then marketing them was a whole different story. Eight, but Eight months? Eight months, eight yeah. Months. So eight months, I went from having an idea to write some books to having 5,000 books, 1,000 of each of five titles in my garage. Hmm. So as I was going through it, it was good that I was an intellectual property lawyer because you wouldn't think it with something as simple as children's books, but there are a lot of IP things you have to deal with. For example, I wrote the scripts, but I had to get an editor to kind of like go through them with me and... I'm not sure. I wasn't absolutely sure that there was an issue with a, an editor and copyright issues. Because, but because I didn't want to take a chance, when I had my contract in place with my editor who was going through my books, I made sure that she assigned any copyrights that she might have in connection with my children's books hmm. over to me. You know, my thoughts were better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. I probably didn't need it. But I wanted to have it. So, so could that be then because if she's taking, it was a woman who was yeah, your editor? Yeah, yeah. If she's taking your work that you had written and then, I mean, editing it, making changes to it, uh, whether they're comments or actually going in and restructuring sentences, changing a word here or there, then she's writing that. And because she authored that version of what you wrote, then she could somehow claim copyright over that. Well, what I was, that your yeah, thought? Yeah, what I was thinking is, I mean, if you're changing commas and semicolons and periods, that's one thing. <clears throat> but if you're giving me creative input, if you're actually giving a creative contribution to the work, hmm. my concern was copyright issues. I don't want to have co-ownership issues. Because co-ownership, even though they're two little letters, C-O, right, it changes everything. Because if I'm an exclusive owner... I can prevent everybody in the nation that I have those intellectual property rights from copying me, right? Whether it's, you know, copyrights or trademarks. I mean, what, what I, if you have exclusive ownership, you can prevent everyone from doing what you don't want them to do. But if you have co-ownership, that means there are two people that are able to control the outcome of intellectual property. And that could lead to all kinds of problems. So I didn't want to take any chances. I didn't know what the editor would do, and it turned out that the editor did very little other than commas, punctuation, and things like that. But I didn't know because I've never done this before. So hmm. I immediately got her to sign an agreement, which, of course, she signed because I was paying her. You know, if you're going to be paying a contractor, in all likelihood, they'll sign away their rights because it's either that or they don't get the engagement. So... That was the first step in the intellectual property process, knowing just to get an agreement with my editor, which probably 99% of the people don't do because you don't think of it. You think they're just editing your book. Right. So 
Then, after I did that, I had to do a deal with an illustrator because while I could write, I have the animation skills of a kindergartner, you know? And that's on my best day. And these are not stick figures, as you can see. Right. Maybe, I'll, yeah, maybe yeah. I'll put this on screen. I'll take a picture of it and put it on okay, screen. Yeah, but these, yeah. these are not stick figures. Yeah, some yeah. of these illustrations really are really knock-your-socks-off illustrations. So anyway, so I had actually two different illustrators. I had, so I did, originally created like books that are like kindergarten, first grade books. They're like picture books. You know, they have like, um, you know, every page has some pictures and, or pictures, but mo hardly any words. These are like picture books, I'd call them. But then I wanted to up my game after I did the first round of books and I got a real illustrator. Actually, she was only 19 years old. She did a brilliant job. But the fact is, I wanted to make sure that there was no question as to who owned all the rights around these images, right? Mm. So I had to make sure I had agreements with them to assign their rights to me. Now, there's this thing called a work for hire, and everybody uses that term all the time. But it's not quite as broad as you think. There's actually like nine things that would count as a work for hire. Hmm. And again, I'm not totally sure whether these counted under work for hire. Hmm. So I didn't want to take any chances. So I had a work for hire agreement in place. And then I had language that said, if it's not considered a work for hire, it's an assignment to me of whatever your rights are. So now I have an agreement with two different illustrators over the course of my development of these books. So now I got my scriptwriters agreement my illustrators, those two agreements. And then once I got the layout done and I was ready to go to the printer, I started thinking about the printer. You know, I mean, are there any rights there? Because I want everything that they print. I don't just want the final versions of what they print. I want anything that they print. So there's, you know, there's intellectual property and then there's the stuff that's the result of your creative process. So I wanted to have the right agreement in place with my printers, which was a little challenging because they were in Hong Kong, and the likelihood of me being able to enforce any rights there, you know, on a low budget was probably nil. So, but anyway, nevertheless, I went forward with the process. I found a printer and started printing books and had them delivered to my garage. And one of the things that happened along the way, and this isn't really IP, this is just part of the creating something new when you have no idea what you're doing. And that is, I was looking at other books in Barnes & Noble to see what I wanted to create. You know, how thick I wanted the pages to be, how glossy, you know, how long I wanted the books to be, how much I wanted to charge for them. And I was just looking for comparable books, books I liked and stuff like that. So I noticed, though, that all these books said stuff like printed in China or made in China. And I thought to myself, why would I want to do that? Why would I want to broadcast the fact, if I'm selling mostly in the U.S., that I'm having these printed or made outside of the U.S.? So I came up with a brilliant idea, which is, why not just not mention it, right? Don't say anything about where they were printed, because then people would read it and not be turned off, perhaps, by the fact that I didn't have them created in the U.S. So I thought, wow, I am really smart, right? Because, of course, I thought of something no one else had thought of. So I sent my designs, I sent my books in ready to print, and the morning they were being printed, which was evening in China, I'm driving to work thinking about how smart I am and how clever I am that I thought of doing this and none of these big companies had thought about it. And as I'm driving, I thought, wait a second, I'm not that smart, you know? <laughs> I'm not that clever. How is it that I thought of this and they didn't think of it? And I thought, I'm missing something here. I actually pulled over on the road, powered up my laptop, and by the way, this was like 2005, so it wasn't like you could just get 
access anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I had to like plug my phone in and, you know, had this little thing with an antenna. But anyway, so I looked online and I found out that there's a law that mm -hmm. says you have to put that they're printed in some other part of the world. And if you don't, you can't get them into the US. So I quickly called my printer because you know they're on these giant machines and once they hit that button, it's a minute, it's zero, next thing you got 5,000 books done. Luckily I stopped them in time and I was able to make that change. But it's every little thing along the way with respect to creating a book. If you're starting from scratch, there's all kinds of little laws, but one of the big things is knowing about your intellectual property rights. Now I've got these you know, I've got these five books. Oh, and the other thing is my trademark, right? Yeah. I so I wanted say, to create. There's trademarks too, so there's right? two things I wanted to do, right? About branding, I wanted to create a trademark, and I, I filed for it. Now, mind you, trademarks—you get your rights to trademarks based upon use in commerce. You don't need to get a federal registration in order to have trademark rights. In fact, you can start using your trademark and put TM next to your trademark, and you have common law rights as long as you're using it in commerce. But I didn't want to take a chance on putting TM after my books were printed because what if somebody filed a trademark registration from the time I started thinking about this and settled on it in my mind and writing books all about the girl named Pants and then I go to print and I come back and I get hit for trademark infringement. So I had to do my trademark search first. Hmm. Then and This was before you even decided to yeah. officially make these into books that you could go out and... actually. It was after I decided I was going to do this, right? I mean, when I was just pondering the idea, it's still fantasy. Like, who knows what you're going to actually do? But once I decided to take this seriously and go from my kids drawing on pieces of paper and me stapling them together to actually having books and investing money in this, I wanted to make sure that I had rights. So, again, you have rights this, as soon as you start using your mark in commerce, but I couldn't start using it in commerce because I didn't have any product right? I mean, trademarks have to be attached to a product or a service. And I didn't want to start advertising the books before I actually had them, because honestly, I didn't know if I could actually pull it off. So I didn't want to have ads out there where I could start getting my trademark rights with, you know, marketing material, offering these for sale. So instead, I decided to file what's called an intent to use trademark application, which essentially means that I intend to use it, right? I intend to do this. I'm just not doing it yet. And it gives you like six months or so where you can get yourself ready to start using it. And then you just have to file a form that says you're actually using it. So for me, I filed an intent to use application to get my trademark rights locked in. Then as soon as I actually had a product, I converted it to a real trademark. So I got my trademark on two things. One is a girl named Pants. That's my actual trademark. Now, it's also the title to one of my books. My first book is called A Girl Named Pants. You know, the second one is Pants Makes the Swim Team. Then there's Pants and the Bully, Pants Feeds the Poor, Pants Builds a Business, and then ultimately there's chapter books which are A Girl Named Pants and Her Mall Adventure, and then A Girl Named Pants and Her Amazing Victory. But my trademark was a girl is, is a girl named Pants. But as well, I had this idea that I wanted the character to have brand recognition and I wanted her to do something unique so what I did is I had the illustrator put like seven ponytails in her hair in fact right when I started doing this I used to do my kids hair in the morning on the way to school so they're in like fifth and sixth grade and kindergarten and first grade they're going to school with like seven or eight ponytails in their hair and if you can believe it 
in their school about six months later, I would see like 15, 20 kids with like eight ponytails in their hair. But I wanted to brand my character with that, so I also got trademark protection on the character with all the ponytails in her hair because I wanted to own that, you know, to the extent that I could. Hmm. So anyway, so once we did that then, and I had books in my garage, of course I had to figure out how to sell these books. So there's other legal stuff that you have to do. Like, I didn't want to be, you know, how do you sell children's books, right? You know, how do you sell any books without going through a publisher? And I didn't want to go through a publisher because they all wanted to own the intellectual property rights. Mm. Now, if I were writing a book like a fiction, like a novel or something, then I'd be willing to give up intellectual property rights to a publisher because I have absolutely no idea how to market a novel, right? right. Now, there's ways you could go on Amazon and maybe do your own could social out, media. Today you could. Today you could. But in 2005, there was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. You know, there was really, there was, I think, MySpace and maybe Friendster or something. I mean, I don't know what there was, but it wasn't like it is today where it's much easier to market, right? Is sure. Friendster even a thing? I, you know where I got I that from? Did you see the movie The Social, the, the social, uh, I don't know, social Network? Friendster is going to see this and get all and so yeah, yeah. write us a nasty letter. Right, right, right. No, <laughs> we I, still I, exist. Yeah, right. Or if they, I only saw it in that movie, The Social Network, I think it was called, about Facebook. But anyway, my point is, I didn't know how to, I wouldn't have known how to market an adult book, but I had an idea for marketing children's books. And my idea was to get college students to dress up as my character, a girl named Pants, and go to the, um, go to the schools and read books and sell books. So these, these girls, I got a couple girls to do it, they would go out and sell like 50 books every time they went to a school. Mm. So it was a nice model that I thought, I don't need a publisher for this, I could sell it myself. So there was no reason for me to give away my intellectual property. You know, you have this thing, right? We, at the last one, we talked about Taylor Swift at the last thing that we did, how, yeah. how she gave away rights to her songs or her music when she was not famous. Yeah. And now she's upset about that when she is famous, when in all likelihood she wouldn't have gotten famous if she didn't give it up in the first place, so right. she wouldn't be complaining. Well, it was the same with me. I thought... I don't need to give up my rights to market my own books. And once they become popular, if they become popular, and by the way, 15 years later, they still haven't become popular. So let me say that. But um, there's still time. I'm still youngish. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, still youngish, right? So anyway, um, but, but my point was I had an idea on how to market without a publisher, which means I didn't need to give up my intellectual property rights. So we probably sold 10,000 books in my area, around 10,000 books all through this distribution model that I came up with. But then life got busy, and I had to like put it on hold while I built Executive IP and yeah. Colson Law Group and that sort of you thing. You weren't building a publishing company. Exactly. And I wasn't even building a brand as anything more. All I really wanted to do was have a character in my own children's life because I knew they wouldn't listen to me, their dad, right? But if they, I mean, I still have children's characters in my head from my childhood. They're still impacting me because sure. when you're young, there's, your brain is open to being invaded by thoughts and ideas that it's just not open to as you get older. And you don't think your dad is worth that much, but a character? Oh, my God. And my kids, the brilliance of this is my kids were too young to appreciate the difference between an international author and a local author. 
So as far as they were concerned, their dad was an author. Right. And as far as they were concerned, a girl named Pants was internationally recognized, even though outside of Western New York, maybe 50 people bought the books. So my goal was to create a character in their lives that would be in the deep recesses of their brain that was all about empowering girls to believe they could do anything. And I accomplished that. Now, did I want to create a brand that the world you know, talked about and was spreading everywhere and infecting people with this idea that girls could do anything? Hell yeah, I would have loved to do that. But it had to come second to actually taking care of my children, which meant building my company and making an income. So anyway, I put them on the back burner, but it was a fantastic little mission. And in the process of selling them, I had to have other agreements, like the girls that were selling my books, I had to have agreements with them because I had to make sure that they got paid and that they, and we had sales agreements in place. So I set them up as sales agents. I had to set up an LLC. I had to set up a company to do this, right? So there's all kinds of little legal things, which is why today, one of the things I love doing with this law firm that we've set up is helping small companies, you know? Right. I mean, I'm not saying that that's my main thing because we do a lot of intellectual property work here, you know, prosecution and litigation. But I love when people stumble into our office and want advice on little things related to their startup businesses because I can actually make a difference quickly in their lives. Right. One reason is they don't know a lot. So it's easy to give advice that's useful because they don't know a lot. I mean, a lot of times you have sophisticated clients that know almost as much as the lawyers and you help them a lot because their problems are huge. But small companies, their problems are little, but they're easy to help. Right, so, and I mean, that's, that's why we're doing this too, right? Um, it, creating a podcast to, to try and spread knowledge about intellectual property. So um, there's a lot that you covered just from a book, right? You wouldn't think that there's that many intricacies in terms of the intellectual property on a book. Most people just think, yeah, copyrights, and that's it. Right. A lot of people wouldn't even imagine that there's trademarks involved with, um, with a book. So, so the things that I picked up were Copyrights and trademarks, but then also it's worth understanding the difference between a copyright and a trademark. And it's also worth going back, I think, and, and touching on when you should start thinking about intellectual property. Yes, When yes. you're starting a business or, I mean, a, a book, writing a book could be a business. Because if you're an author, your business is to sell books, yeah. right? I mean, you might be a publishing company. Right, but so could, this could turn into a brand. I mean, you're yeah. not just an author. You could have merchandise. Right, yeah. You could have all kinds exactly, of stuff. Exactly, for something like this. So, so can you go back now and, and just, just do like a 10 seconds or whatever it takes on what is a copyright, what is a trademark, what's the real difference between yeah, them? Yeah, so, so copyrights are essentially um, protecting not the idea but the written or audio or visual embodiment of your idea. So people cannot copy your the, the way that you express your idea. So in that case the words nice. on the page, yeah. the, the graphics on the cover. The pictures. You know, the... exactly, exactly. Or if this were you know what I did? I actually videotaped some of these and put them up on a website, which mm. by the way is down now. But even that you could get copyright protection on the audio or the video. Right. So that's copyright. Trademarks are all about identifying the source or origin of the maker of the books, right? A girl named Pants is associated with my company, right? So if people copy my brand, if they go out and create their a girl named Pants 
um, with apostrophe series. s. Yeah, yeah, right. right. A girl named people Pat will with think they're buying s. books from me, but they're actually buying knockoff books that don't have the great message. And also, right. then it diminishes my brand. It diminishes my quality. So, but the other big thing I want as a takeaway is, when you're dealing with publishers, make sure you recognize the intellectual property rights that you might want to keep, or you might feel you need to give up, and. It all comes down to leverage. We talked about this last time. Yeah. All comes down to leverage. Whoever has the most leverage in a deal usually gets the best deal, right? And when somebody says to you, if you give me the intellectual property rights to your book, I promise I will market your book and I'll invest all kinds of money in making you famous. That might be a good deal for you because you might have no other way to get out there. And otherwise, your books or your ideas will just languish in your head or in your drawer or on your hard drive and they'll never go anywhere and maybe giving up 95% of your rights or 100% of your rights to become something is worth it. Right. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying go in with your eyes wide open. Well, so what are some of the risks, though? Because you mentioned you had a contract with your editor, a contract with the illustrator, and a contract with the public or with the printer, the printer. I just Yeah, I mean, because my attitude was better safe than sorry. So, okay, so then what are... So what... Now, you, you thought to do this because before you went out in the world with this, you, I mean, you have an intellectual you're, property you're lawyer. An intellectual yeah. property lawyer. Right. So you have that, that right. edge yeah, yeah. over your average person who's right. going to go write a book. But so what if, what if you weren't that person and you went and you got your editor to uh, make edits and the illustrator to make the illustrations oh, yeah, yeah. and then it printed and you got out there? What, if, what could happen if you did that without those agreements? Okay. If you fail, nothing could happen because no one cares. Right. The risk is if you succeed. Because if you succeed, if I have these, a girl named Pants becomes a barn burner, right? And everyone's buying it, everyone's talking about it. And then there's this illustrator who said, I did the illustrations to that. And she's like, wow, I should get some of that. Then you get sued. And if you don't have an agreement in place, you know, it could be a work for hire. But again, those are kind of, those are uh, fuzzy laws in my, I mean, I shouldn't say they're fuzzy laws. What but is a work for hire? There's certain things that are considered a work for hire, which means if you hire someone to do it, you own the intellectual property. They don't without a contract in place. Although, actually, I think there has to be a written agreement in place that it's a work for hire agreement. But they don't have to assign you their rights because you already own them with this written agreement that is a work for hire agreement. But if it's not considered a work for hire, the ownership goes with the creator. And in this case, with these illustrations, that would have been my illustrator. But because I have an agreement in place where I own those rights, um, because she has assigned the rights to me, it doesn't matter. But if you don't have agreement, to me, you always have agreements in place with everybody. And I don't care who they are. They could be your, your neighbor, your friend, your brother, your sister, your mother, your children. Whoever it is, there will be fights when there's success. Hmm. If there's failure, no one cares. If there's success, everyone cares. And then it's a problem, and you want to have agreements in place. Friends become non-friends quickly when there's money involved. Hmm. And I have seen that happen way too many times in my life with my own siblings and their friends when they've done deals in business and they've lost because even though I'm an intellectual property lawyer, they didn't come to me. And, um, <laughs> and they lost because their friends weren't the friends they thought they were. Oh, he or she would never do that to me. Yes, they would. Right. Always have agreement. So my one message, if I could leave anyone with anything, is regardless of what your creative initiative is, 
don't think of it as a creative initiative or don't think of it as a creative project. Think of it as a business. Right. Think of it as there's IP rights. And you want to have it, agreements in place yeah, to protect exactly. what it is that you're creating. Exactly. With the people you're creating them with. Yeah, and you don't have to be an intellectual property lawyer. You know why? There's intellectual property lawyers all around you. You don't have to be one. You just have to hire one. Yeah, well, I was going to say, that you might not be an intellectual property lawyer, but um, you can know about this stuff by watching this podcast and knowing about executive IP and learning about intellectual property. But also, once you do know, you know what you have and how, and that you need to protect it, you can go to an intellectual property lawyer to help you get that protection. Exactly. All right. You got it. It's okay. So um, I want to do our uh, weekly um, bits and bites of the news. We don't have like a name for this segment yet, but yeah. one will evolve eventually. Right. Yes. Um, but we, we want to talk Maybe about... Maybe one of our tens of millions of viewers will give us a good idea. Yeah, yeah. If but you have... we'll have to worry about intellectual property rights <laughs> with that idea. Yeah, that's and true. And we have to worry about that's... the fact that we don't have tens of millions this of viewers. This is like an unsolicited invention. <laughs> that's right. It? I yeah. just did a training program on oh, that. Oh, boy. Unsolicited um, invention ideas. Probably... Well, again, this will only be a problem if we're successful. <laughs> exactly, right? exactly, right. So, um, okay, so we're going to do a, a, a weekly segment on... Uh, something in the news. Something in the news, whatever's going on as it relates to intellectual property. And this week I read an article about uh, Baby Yoda, um, which I didn't know was a thing, um, but I'd heard about this show, The Mandalorian, and I'm, I'm dying to watch it. Um, but there was this thing, because there's this character in it called Baby Yoda, I'm sure all of you know, um, but there's this. I'm character. sure they don't all know. Well, I didn't know. I mean, this I is like it, this is like the, really the, cool the creme de la creme of, of pop culture right okay, now. Okay, right, so, right. So Maybe they do. Yeah, know. it's just us who are under rocks that don't know about that's it. That's right. But, that's right. Because uh, I am far from the creme de la creme of pop culture. I mean, I know <laughs> I am. Um, but anyway, so okay, so there's Baby Yoda is a character in the show The Mandalorian, uh, which is on the Disney, um, the new Disney version of Netflix. Um, I, I don't know what the name of it is. Um, but it's everybody loves this character. It's adorable. And um, so as we tend to do in 2019, almost 2020, we make memes. So people were making these memes from the character Baby Yoda, and they were uploading them to this site, Giphy. And I'm not entirely sure how Giphy's business model works, but they're a pretty profitable business. They're a very well-known platform. And so they made these memes, or people were making these memes, putting them on their site. But Giphy kind of freaked out that uh, Disney might get upset about this. So they quickly pulled off all of these memes and then later put them back up, right? And so um, I read this article about it. I sent it to you, and I want to know what, is, what are your, your thoughts about it? I mean, did I get the yeah, story right? Yeah, I think so. And I just skimmed it for like a minute before this. I, sure. I promised myself... I would read your article earlier, uh, but, but that's okay. I didn't because we're busy here. <laughs> anyway, I skimmed it quickly, and here's what I saw. I think you're right. And second, I noticed in the article they said they had the right to do this under copyright laws, but they Giffy pulled did. it. Yeah, but they pulled them down anyway. And I thought to myself, I don't know that they had the right to do this under copyright laws. I mean, I don't know if they do or if they don't. I hadn't looked at it closely, but I do know that. There's some pretty aggressive companies out there that are not Disney that own a whole bunch of images, right? And I won't mention the name of this company, but if you take one of their images and you put it on your website, you will get a cease and desist letter from them, mm. and you'll have to pay them like 500 bucks or 1000 bucks 
for the right to use their images. So you cannot use images just because you find them on the web and you think you have like, I think, what do they call it? I'm, I should know this because I'm a lawyer, but, uh, and I've done training videos on it, but fair use, right? right? Fair use is fuzzy. It is not as broad as people think it is. There's certain things you can do which do not violate copyright laws in the umbrella of fair use, but I don't know if this is one of those things. I just don't know. So I didn't look closely enough. But anyway, first thing that jumped out at me was that. So they pulled it down because they were afraid that maybe Disney would sue them or Disney would have an issue, right. even though, as they put in the article, they knew or they believed that they have fair use of this, right? So the second thing that jumped out at me is it's the power of IP and also the power of big companies who own IP. Because here's the thing. Disney's big. And what's this other company called? Giphy? Giphy, yeah. Okay. I, I, Giphy's like, probably Giphy pretty big Giphy. too, right? I think Giphy, because Giphy might be a trademark violation. On peanut butter, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. I so see I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although it's a different industry, so probably not. But anyway... Anyway, anyway, popped yeah. that balloon like <laughs> no, it might be though, but I don't okay, think so. But, but anyway, um, anyway, so they're probably pretty big, right? I mean, they're probably a pretty big little yeah, company. Yeah, I, I don't know how much what what they do, but um, let's say that they're pretty big. They're but they're huge. not Disney. They're yeah. not like Disney. Big, In the right? meme world, they're, they're big. Huge. Okay, yeah. so it's it's interesting though that even a pretty big company immediately pulled them down, even though I did read in the article that it was not Disney that told them to pull it down. Right. Like, Disney didn't even weigh in on it. Yeah, they apparently. hadn't, because it all happened, I think, within the span of a, a So here's what I think happened. I think Giphy, or Jiffy, um, they have an in-house counsel, or a friend who's a lawyer, who said, pull those down, because you don't want to take a chance of getting the ire of Disney, because right. they have a lot of lawyers, and I'm sure they could come after you hard, and that's the power of IP, though, is even if you're not necessarily wrong, if you tick off people who own the IP, they could bring you to your knees just litigating you to death, right. even if it turns out that you're wrong, because you still have to hire lawyers. That's the thing about litigation. It's time-consuming. It's expensive. And it is ugly, even if you win. I mean, that's the thing is you got to pay, because if they sue you for trademark infringement, and it's a, you know, it's a rational cause of action, you know, and, and let's say you win, but you've spent a hundred grand defending yourself, at the end of it all, all you get to do is what you were doing before you started. It's not like you get your hundred grand back, you know? So they probably said, we better be really sure that we don't get on the wrong side of Disney's intellectual property rights. And to me, it just goes to show you the power of intellectual property, particularly when you have somebody who has the strength to enforce it. Yeah, and Disney certainly does. Yes, they do. And I'm sure they have in the past. Yeah, they probably have to because their intellectual property rights are probably a big reason why they have anything. Right. right? I yeah. mean, they are all about intellectual property. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you for joining us this week on Stuff You Should Know About IP. If you like this video, please comment, like it, share it with your friends, tell your mother-in-law, whatever you got to do. Help us get the word out there so that people all around the world know about intellectual property. Thank you. Thank you. You done? Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's good.